The Trevor J. Brown Show. The Trevor J. Brown Show is meant for an adult audience. An adult audience. The Trevor J. Brown Show may contain explicit language and topics. Explicit language and topics. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. Be a part of the show and email us at inherentdream at yahoo.com. And now, your host, you guessed it, Trevor J. Brown. Yes, it's the show, it's my show, it's the Trevor J. Brown Show. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to join us in the conversation at facebook.com backslash the Trevor J. Brown Show. Also available at facebook.com backslash Inherent Dream. You can email the program anytime, inherentdream at yahoo.com and our website, inherentdream.com. Our Friday evening shows are available on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and we invite you to tune in on Saturdays for our bonus content. That is available exclusively on the Spotify app. What are we doing tomorrow? We're adding more tunes to our 1,000 most favorite, greatest songs of all time. That's what it should be. It's, in our opinion, the greatest songs of all time, but also our favorites. Because there's a lot of best of lists that, sure, it's a, it's a great song, but does it touch me? Does it move my soul? So I have to have some emotional connection to the song. I do want to apologize. I, you know, Lindsay had COVID back before the holiday. She's doing fine now. And I'm doing fine. I had a, I had a brief illness the week of uh, New Year's Eve, leading up to New Year's Eve. And we tested, and I tested, and I was negative. I never had it again. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I had COVID before COVID was a, a worldwide thing. What was it? Uh, Christmas 2019. So before 2020, when the whole world went berserk, I could not get out of bed. It was awful. It was the type of illness where you you sleep, you get up, you get out of bed, you go shower, and then you go back to bed. You sleep for four or five hours. You get up, you try to eat something. You're up for an hour. Then you go back to bed for four or five hours. I think during that illness, I missed a couple of days of work, like back-to-back days of work, which I hardly ever do. So it really knocked me out. But whatever this was a few weeks ago, I have just been, I don't know if it's so dry because of the air and how cold it is, but I just have this lingering, uh, not, not a, like a, like a bronchitis cough or anything like that. But when I like lay down to bed, I will always hack for like a minute. And then if somebody tells me a good joke, I always I always cough too. I normally don't cough when I laugh, but I, I do now. So I don't know what's going on. I know uh, I do want to send well wishes out to uh, a buddy of mine, Matt, who is uh, a friend of mine who I met through a friend's Johnny and Samantha. And if they're listening, hello to them. But... Uh, Matt was in the hospital with COVID 
And that is definitely scary. And it was a, a very severe case of COVID where and I don't have all the specifics, but his blood oxygen went down big time. And luckily, as of yesterday, he was able to go home. So Matt, if you're listening, uh, we, we wish you well, rest up and, uh, and get better. But this, this COVID stuff is serious. It is absolutely serious. And I, I feel like in every circle now, within your friend circle or your family circle, it, it's affected you or it's affected somebody you know. I feel as if COVID has, has touched everybody at this point now. I don't know how we get a handle on it. I don't. I'm tired of talking about it. I am. I still talk about it, though, because we still have stupid things and stupid people that are running this country and saying stupid things, and we have to call them out on it because if we don't call them out... See, here goes my voice again. If we don't call them out on stupid things and stupid things that people say, then that sort of just becomes the norm. And... One of the big things that I read this week was there was a bunch of people bitching that DirecTV is uh, dropping OAN, uh, One America News Network or whatever whatever the, the, the Patriots watch. And I'm tired of the argument that, well, they're censoring free speech. Here's an idea. If, you, if you're bitter that DirecTV a company that you don't own is dropping another network that you don't own, but you watch start up your own satellite service or, you know, and, 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 or some, some rich, rich tech guy. We always talk about the Zuckerbergs of the world about how they're the, the, this, they're the devil on the left. Well, why isn't there some dude on the right? That's like, you know what? I'm starting my own satellite service. So and I'm going to be direct competition with direct TV and I'm going to have OAN network and I'm going to have all of this other stuff and my conspiracy theory channel. And, and all, if that's what you want, I'm so tired of people all the time saying, well, we, we these differences of opinions. Look, if direct TV doesn't want to have your, your loony bin channel on there, which OAN is pretty much state run news. If you ever watch North Korean TV, that's pretty much what it is. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's not news. And those are the same people that are like, CNN's fake news. And I only get my news from OAN or from Fox news. And it's like, okay, come on. You're part of the problem. Can't you see that? When are we going to start to wake up as a society and, and start to realize that it doesn't matter who's in Washington, if they're Democrat or Republican, they don't give a rat's ass about you. When are you going to start to wake up and realize that? Joe Biden, during his press conference, reading on CNN, they actually fact-checked him. Some of the things that he said are just blatant lies about how he drove an 18-wheeler. He never did that. He's been in Washington for 50 years. When did he drive an 18-wheeler? He never did that. Now, I will preface it. I didn't watch... The press conference myself. I'm only going off of what I read off of CNN. So I don't want to be viewed as some hypocrite when it's like, well, did you read the transcript? No, I didn't read the transcript, but 
everybody else should read the transcript. Like good old Jordan Klepper on the Daily Show. Just calling out these frauds. But there were several lies in, in Biden's press conference. My point is this. If he actually said that, and it's an open lie, and we can fact check it, and it's not true, all of these clowns in Washington, they make they, they go and they're just normal people, and then they leave Washington, and they're millionaires. And they want to act like they're one of us. They want to act like they're middle class. And they're not. They're not us at all. And it's uh, unfortunate that we, we, we are so blind to this. How we're going to come together is we need to realize that it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who you elect to Congress. It's all the same. What is the last great thing that this country has done? I'll wait for it. It's been a long time. That doesn't mean that I don't love America. That doesn't mean that I'm I'm not a patriot. Which, by the way, stop hijacking that word. That word means absolutely nothing now. My point is, is when is the last time that we have done something seriously amazing? That is like out of this world. Now we can go way before my lifetime when we saved the world in World War II. That was something big. Civil rights legislation, that was huge. That was important. Going to the moon. To me, I feel like the last really big thing that brought a lot of people together was going to the moon. Now you want to bring up going to the moon, people, half the people say it was fake. It was done in front of a green screen. That's what we get to. We can't can't even have a moment of celebration in this country that is supposed to bring us together and, and it is supposed to make us look and say, wow, that was an achievement. Now we look at these achievements and or anything. We, we, as a society, we look at anything in our day-to-day and we have to pick sides as if that's going to absolutely solve anything. I don't care who's in Washington. Your life, that, that's, that's my whole point. If, if you're having a good day or you're having a good life or you're having a good year, based upon who is in Washington as president of the United States. Oh, I feel bad for you. Now, don't get me wrong. There's certain things that Congress and the president, there's certain things that they can do that can affect your life. But overall, in my day today, not a whole lot has changed. Sure, there's supply chain issues. Sure, there's inflation. You might be paying more at the pump. But Joe Biden doesn't set the gas prices. The reason why, here's the simple fact. The reason why gas prices are the way they are, oil companies aren't getting the large tax breaks that they did when the Republican, the guy before, was in office. So now they're price gouging you at the pump because they're not getting the tax breaks. They're passing the buck along to you. That's how it works. Joe Biden just doesn't wake up in the morning and pick a number out of his ass and say, I think gas prices should be this today. And in terms of inflation, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's sitting off the the shore 
of of California in those cargo ships. But in terms of the food at the grocery store, how much of that is is coming from uh, those ships? I don't think a whole lot. What 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 are we flying in from China for food? Nothing. A lot of our produce comes from Mexico, or it's grown right here because that there's empty shelves. Uh, that's that's not necessarily a supply chain issue with what's going off off the coast of California. Because you're bitter because your guy didn't win. Now we're gonna we're gonna create a supply a supply chain issue, and we're not gonna have your brand of lettuce at the store. I mean, whatever. I know that there's more to go in to to go into the argument than anything else. But things change. Here's the point. Don't be bitter with your life or don't be overly happy with your life based upon who is in Washington. It does it doesn't really affect me the day to day. Here's my whole thing. Keep my taxes low, don't bother me and let me live my life. More on spotlight coming up next. The Trevor J. Brown Show. The Trevor J. Brown Show is brought to you by In Good Hands Massage. Be sure to treat yourself to a massage and visit In Good Hands Massage in Malacca. In Good Hands specializes in all types of massage, including deep tissue, relaxation, hot stone, sports massage, and more. Book your appointment today or get your gift cards at facebook.com slash massage by Lindsay. We got a free-for-all Friday tonight. Our good buddy Mark Stone joining us here in a little while. Let's first get to the Moron Spotlight. A Tennessee jury has ordered Cracker Barrel, a Southern Fair restaurant chain, to pay $9.4 million in damages after a staff member served a customer sanitizer instead of water in 2014. Cracker Barrel will only have to pay a fraction of that amount, however, under a Tennessee law that places a cap on economic damages. Attorney Thomas Greer of Bailey and Greer PLLC told WTVC, a local Fox ABC station in Chattanooga, this is an unfair law, Greer told the station. We will not receive anything close to what he is entitled to. William Cronin, the customer and plaintiff, will receive just $750,000 from the restaurant chain, according to WTVC. Uh, I'd take $750,000 and not bitch about it. As long as the guy's still alive. I think if you, is it true if you drink a certain amount of like hand sanitizer, that could kill you? But if the guy's still alive and kicking, then uh, what could be wrong? Uh, Cronin developed uh, gastrointestinal issues after a waitress accidentally refilled his water glass with what she thought was water, but turned out to be a mixture of water and eco-Santa, commercial-grade bleach. Is that what Trump wanted people to inject in them, was uh, bleach? Oh, he didn't say that, though, right? Good. I remember after he said that and the amount of people that were online that were just like, no, he didn't say that. That's not what he said. And you could you could put the words that he said from that press conference right there. They're right there. No, he didn't say that. Cronin went to the emergency room after the incident and experienced a permanent and serious internal physical injury. 
as a result of the mishap. Witnesses testified during the trial that staff used unmarked water pitchers containing eco-sand to soak certain kitchen equipment. Perhaps use a different... Uh, <laughs> maybe don't use water pitchers to have water and also the uh, the sanitizer as well. Maybe have the uh, water pitchers for the water that we serve to customers and I don't know, something else to put the, uh, the sanitizer in. The original lawsuit asked Cracker Barrel to pay $150,000 in damages to Cronin, but a Marion County jury ordered the restaurant chain to hand over $4.3 million in damages to the plaintiff, as well as an additional $5 million in punitive damages. We are very happy that the jury found for our client, Greer wrote in a blog post, he is a good, honest person, and he must live with the fallout of Cracker Barrel's dangerous policy for the rest of his life. It was an honor to help him and get justice after all of these years. So it sounds like this guy, that there is some some medical stuff that he went through, which uh, which sucks. But hopefully he can live, obviously continue to live and, and, uh, and get that money. Obviously a, a terrible thing to go through, but to have $750,000 coming your way too, that must be nice. On the flip side of that, probably most of that that he won is going to go towards lawyer fees and then any bill that he received from an emergency room. So now I kind of feel bad for the guy because uh, he pretty much got screwed. Here's a, a headline that we see far too often. Congressman apologizes for comparing D.C. vaccine protocols to Nazi Germany. Of course he did. Ohio Republican Representative Warren Davidson apologized last week for comparing Washington, D.C.'s COVID-19 safety protocols to Nazi Germany. Here's what he said. Bad things happen when governments dehumanize people. Sometimes there is a next step to systematically segregate them. Unfortunately, any reference to how the Nazis actually did that prevents a focus on anything other than the Holocaust. I appreciate my Jewish friends who have explained their perspectives and feel horrible that I have offended anybody. My sincere apologies. End quote. Earlier this week, Washington Mayor uh, Muriel Bowser said on Twitter that adult residents and visitors will have to have proof of vaccinations, a photo ID, and a mask in public. Davidson responded with a tweet of an image of a Nazi document and wrote, this has been done before, hashtag do not comply. He said, let's recall that the Nazis dehumanized Jewish people before segregating them, segregating them before imprisoning them, imprisoned them before enslaving them, and enslaved them before massacring them. Okay. The original tweet was still online as of midday last week. I believe it's been taken down now. Davidson's comments were widely condemned. The Anti-Defamation League said it's never appropriate to compare requirements for public health with the tactics of Nazi Germany. As we've said it too many times to count, minimizing the Holocaust in this way is deeply offensive and harmful. Democratic Representative Dean Phillips from uh, the great state here of Minnesota, who is Jewish, told CNN's Jake Tapper on Wednesday that he confronted Davidson about the tweet. I said I'd debate mandates and tyranny whenever he wishes, but there's no debate on the offense of his post. He could have cared less. Of course, because the guy doesn't know how to read. The guy doesn't know what Nazis truly are. The guy doesn't know what the Holocaust is. He just says these words because he can say these words. Look, here's 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 the facts. 
Stop comparing mask mandates and vaccines to Nazis. It's not that, okay? Here's what Nazis would have done. Here's what Nazis would do if they were in charge of things, if they were in charge of mask mandates in this country and with the vaccine. You don't have a choice. They would put the thing in your arm, and if you did not comply, you would be shot or you would be gassed. That's the difference. The government here is not is not uh, forcing anybody to get the vaccine. You have the choice still to not get the vaccine. The government can look. There, there's an argument to be had with what's going on in Minneapolis and St. Paul this week. I don't necessarily agree with with Governor Walls issuing his decree saying that you have to in the or it wasn't even Governor Walls. It was uh, the mayors of those cities coming out and saying, well, you have to have proof of, of vaccination. Why just that at restaurants? You think COVID just lives at restaurants? It lives everywhere. And a lot of these restaurants are saying, screw you. We're not even going to open for dine-in. We're just going to do the takeout stuff now. We're not going to lose money off of this. That, to me, is a, is a, is a bit overstepping, and we can talk more about that as, uh, as time goes on. But Nazis, Nazi Germany, they murdered people. And I feel like every week we're reading from somebody in some high profile position, someone in Washington, some some senator, some representative, some moron on TV that constantly uses these terms. And every time that these terms are used, it, it, it sort of blurs the line for the uneducated where then they start picking up on it. It's like when we constantly say, and we said for years on the other show, everything's racist. Well, everything's not racist because when everything's racist, then when there actually is racism and acts of, of violence, then people just sort of shrug their shoulders and they're like, eh, eh. and they shouldn't do that. There actually was a time in this world where Nazi Germany rounded people up. And it wasn't just Jews. There were a lot of Jews involved, but there were a ton of different ethnic groups that, that were rounded up and they were brought to these these camps and some of them were made slaves and but most of them were were killed on arrival early on in the concentration camps well not even early on for a big chunk of these camps you had about a 1 in 4 shot of even making it through a selection 75% were just gassed on arrival and the rest you got to go and be a slave and then from there, even if you got to be a slave, there was still a great chance that they would work you to death. So let's not compare wearing a mask or getting a vaccine that is supposed to help you. Let's not compare those things to what, what the Nazis did. These things happened. And every time you compare this to, to Nazi Germany... It makes the uneducated think, well, then it must be true. It's terrible. We got a free-for-all Friday. Mark Stone next. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show from Inherent Dream Production Company. Jensen Sales Plus makes buying and selling online easy. From Craigslist to Amazon, eBay to Etsy, they do it all. 
Check out their website for more information, jensensalesplus.com. That's jensensalesplus.com. JSP, located in Princeton and a proud supporter of the Trevor J. Brown Show. Well, guess what? It's a free-for-all Friday, and we have Mr. TNT, Mark Stone. Stone, how the hell are you? Did you see what happened last weekend, Trevor? I mean, I went perfecto, baby. Every pick correct. Carved in stone. Hit the stone-cold lock in the week. Locked it up. Doesn't get any better. I called those games, baby. Yeah, it was awesome. It was it was absolutely great. And cherry on top, 49ers beat the Cowboys. Now what's funny is is going into last week, and I know we probably had differing opinions on this, but I, I am I I'm fine watching your team, but I just I get so sick of the Cowboys because they're always so overhyped and everybody talks about them. Uh more in the sense of like we don't talk about them, but the big sports networks talk about them like they're the Yankees from the nineties. Like, come on. Like, the Cowboys haven't been the Cowboys for a very long time, but yet they act like they're still something. And that's what ESPN's been doing all week after their loss. They keep acting like, oh, my goodness, blah, blah, blah. This was the Super Bowl. These guys were going to win the big game, blah, blah, blah. The Cowboys suck, dude. They absolutely are awful. Now, I'm a little worried about your team going into this weekend because I don't think the Packers are going to commit 14 penalties or whatever it was that the Cowboys did to shoot themselves in the foot. But you know what, dude, a wins and a win, a wins a win. And you had to be pleased with, uh, with your, with your team. Well, I was pleased, but the second half agony was, was there. Uh, Cowboys honestly should have won that game. Hands down. It's strictly on coaching. They tried to sit here and blame the refs. No, there were other scrubs throughout that whole game. And San Francisco had a chance to bury him and did it. Uh, special team screw-ups, which you know I've talked about on this show all season long. Hightower, the special teams coordinator in San Francisco's got to go. Kyle's got to fire him at the end of the season. I know they're close buds, but that there's no excuse. There's no excuse fully running into the punter, and there's no excuse on the fake punt that you knew Bones was bringing to have Josh Norman running all the way back to go cover a guy when you're supposed to be in coverage and you're supposed to take the boy. Again, just really horribly coach Elsie's on two big mistakes there. And then Jimmy too. Jimmy forcing after he got injured again, you know, making a bad pass late in the game. Then you got the fourth and one. All they got to do is QB sneak it. You put Trent Williams in motion. Let him get set. He still would have been able to get that ball off with at least a second or two before the clock would have been play clock would have been expired two big blunders there and dallas was back in this game should have never been that close but dallas also should have won this game but you got 10 pre-snap penalties you get 10 pre-snap penalties it's very very simple that is coaching and that is coming from the head coach and then to, on top of the clock management blunders that we've been talking about mike mccarthy all season long the end of the game you call a qb draw which you run in practice we've run it tons of times yeah, did you put a clock on it? Because every coach knows you need at least 18 seconds to run a play like that successfully and get the ball snapped and clocked. You only had 14, dumbass. Your math's bad. Good news, Cowboys fans. He's back again next year. I hope you saved it. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost kind of shocked because going uh, into the first quarter when, when your team scored right away, watching the game, I sort of said out loud, this might be the final game for Mike McCarthy because you got two coordinators 
I'm not a huge Kellen Moore guy, but boy, a bunch of people got their panties up in a bunch for Kellen Moore. And then you got Dan Quinn and, and the defense for the Cowboys. We were talking about Dan Quinn's schemes for a big chunk of the year. I think Dan Quinn is as good as gone. He's getting a head coaching job somewhere else. Kellen Moore will probably get an opportunity too. But with those two guys on your staff, it sort of made me think like, well, McCarthy's probably the odd man out here. I think the play call at the end of the game was one of the dumbest things that I've ever seen from a professional football team. Stone, you, I'm not discrediting you here, but you wouldn't call that play coach in high school. You you wouldn't have called that play. You, you're smart enough to know the time. You have to get all your guys together. I know rules are a little bit different from the different levels of high school, college, and the pros, but that's a stupid play call. That's trying to outsmart yourself. You basically just did outsmart yourself. I feel like we said it last weekend with Wild Card Weekend, like don't overthink it. And that's exactly what the Cowboys did. They overthought it, and uh, it was just it was stupid. And it, they didn't just lose because of that. The penalties are, are why they lost. And some of the game plan, too. Like, I just – you have this high-powered offense, and it just goes nowhere. Like, yeah, you can put up 51 against Washington, but when it comes to playing a team halfway decent, where'd that offense go? Well, I think Troy Aikman hit it great on the head when he was talking about – you're talking game plan. He goes – what they threw at CD Lamb, what three, maybe yeah. four times, and the Niners were pulling single coverage. Ombre Thomas, the rookie, was on him all game, and you're not going to challenge him. He goes, and I, when I had Michael Irvin, if he's telling me we're one on one, I'm going in twelve times. He's going to make ten of those catches for 118 yards. Why don't you do that? End of the game, too. What they moved forty yards on three plays, attacking the sidelines. The Niners were letting them have it. They're playing single coverage. They're running outs. Dak was putting it in there. So with 14 seconds left and you're at the 40-yard line, why don't you run another two plays on outs to the sidelines real quick? You get two more plays in, probably get another 20 yards, and then you go for the end zone. It's just stupid. Nope, let's run the QB draw. I just you, – you look at that, Cowboys, the weapons that they have. You mentioned C.D. Lamb, and I sort of, in a way, smirked when Troy Aikman said that because – I mean, Michael Irvin's a Hall of Famer. You know, C.D. Lamb is good. But that, I think, shows you how much trust Troy Aikman and how much he likes C.D. Lamb. And a lot of people like C.D. Lamb. They hardly ever threw to him. But even if you weren't going to throw to C.D. Lamb, you still have Amari Cooper. You still have these two big tight ends. And the Cowboys have, like, an identity issue on offense because I feel like they want to be this, like, running team with Ezekiel Elliott and Pollard, but then you have these stud receivers and you have these two big tight ends and you just, they just don't know what they want to be. And I felt like their game plan just sucked going into Sunday. They were not prepared at all. And I, it, 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 uh, it clearly showed, um, uh, the other games that we can touch on quick Bengals and Raiders Bengals by, by uh, seven there, uh, Patriots get their ass destroyed in Buffalo 47 to 17 Buccaneers take care of business 31 to 15 out of those games. Any thoughts? My only thought is again, I told everybody, if you're going to make another bet, hammer those bangles at five and a half. That was correct on that. Uh, 
Mac Jones and the Patriots defense just seem to be over its, its head. I heard Colin Cowherd mention that Josh Allen is the Mike Tyson of the NFL, and I think that's that holds true. I mean, we don't see we see Allen come out and throw out knockout punch after knockout punch, and he is going for the jugular every time he's out there. And then we do see every now and then a clunker of a game where he gets caught off guard, and that's how you beat him. But when he's playing like this, he is very, very tough to beat. And as for Philly and Tampa Bay, again, Tampa Bay didn't play a great game, but Philly played an even worse game. And whenever they had an opportunity to get back into that game, Jalen Hurts made some boneheaded mistake. Again, it makes me wonder, but the way Pittsburgh played and the way Philly played, why do we even have number seven seeds in these playoffs? There's definitely a drop-off between the number six seed and the number seven seed. 100%. And at the end of the day, we know the answer to that. It's all about money. I kind of, I like it in the sense stone where it's the number one spot that's coveted. You're going to kind of fight for it. There's more action in the final week of the season. Teams are still playing for something. But on the flip side, they talked about the Eagles and about like how they had to win a bunch at the end to, to get there. And then I started looking at their schedule. And I want to bring this up to you because this is, this is just proof in the pudding to you on, on, the, the problem with, with everything for the Eagles, okay? And with the NFL in general this past year. who here's, here's who they beat this year, okay? The Eagles beat Atlanta in the first week of the season, 32-6. to six. Then they, uh, they lost a bunch. Then they beat Carolina, not a playoff team. Then they beat Detroit, not a playoff team. Then they beat Denver, not a playoff team. They beat the Saints, not a playoff team. They lost to the New York Giants, which that's sad. They beat the Jets. That's not a playoff team. They beat Washington. That's not a playoff team. They beat the Giants. That's not a playoff team. They beat Washington. That's not a playoff team. So when you play in the NFC least, you're probably going to make the playoffs because look who you're playing. I mean, that's that's the problem with it right there, Stone. I mean, I, I, I didn't think the Bucks played terrible. I thought they played a really good first half, second half. I felt like they just sort of were like, hey, let's get out of here. No injuries, whatever. Uh, I heard a good thing between if you were to put the best players of Philadelphia and the best players of Pittsburgh on one team and they both played those games, they still would have lost. <laughs> those teams those teams stink. They're just awful. Like between Jalen Hurts and Ben Roethlisberger, it don't matter. You don't have a quarterback. You can t- take either one. You don't have a QB. <laughs> so true it was bad i mean it was bad watching both those teams and like we said we were not surprised to see pittsburgh get curb stomped yeah. by kent city it started off a little slow you made the tj watt call he had that touchdown yeah. but after that touchdown kansas city opened it up and just simply again mahomes would roll out and just throw to a wide open kelsey a wide open pringle wide open tyree kill it didn't matter they were playing zone against them not bad they were trying not to lose the game and in turn they were giving up big chunk yardage and that just gave even more confidence to kansas city who was able to punch it in without a problem five straight touchdowns for patrick mahomes after that point yeah i know you had your 49ers and cowboys game real high on the list for me that that was sort of lower just because i i i I'm not a Cowboys guy. Like I don't care about the matchup. It just, that didn't really have a lot of interest to me, but that ended up being the game of the weekend. Honestly, stone, all of the other games were kind of duds. And I don't think that's great for the NFL. Like, yeah, 
you have fat guys like me that are going to sit and eat Cheetos and have Cheeto dust on themselves all weekend. And I watched every game and it was fun, but it wasn't like last year, even when, when we kind of went to this format, the Bengals Raiders game, the Bengals were kind of in charge of that game pretty much the whole time. I never felt like the Raiders had a legit chance. I mean, maybe a little bit, but the Bengals had it in hand. The Bills Patriots game, dude, like I watched it. But as a Patriots fan, I shut it off with about six minutes left. It was, it, I'm shocked I made it that long. The Bills curb stomped us. The Buccaneers-Eagles game, I was never worried that Tom Brady was going to lose to Philly. The Chiefs had it in hand the entire time besides the first quarter. And then the Rams kicked the crap out of the Cardinals. And, and that wasn't very entertaining either. Plus, I had to listen to Steve Levy on Monday Night Football, and that crew sucks. So, I I hope... <laughs> I hope we have some better games this weekend, man. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hope so too. And I thought, again, I thought for sure, I thought the Bengals-Raiders game would be interesting, would be close enough, and it was. I mean, the Raiders had a shot at the end to tie it, and of course they bungled that. But I thought I thought the Bills-Patriots game was going to be close, that ended up being a blow. I really didn't care what Tampa and Philly and Kansas City. And I thought also Arizona was going to put in a fighter's chance against the Rams and they didn't do that. So, again, Cliff Kingsbury shows once again that he can't coach after November 1st. He's already on vacation <laughs> in his home, in the pool, you know, sending sending TikToks to everybody else around the league as well as his resume to various college football teams, you know. So that's what's going on there, and it's pretty obvious. You know, there's no urgency whatsoever in Arizona. So I hope they enjoy another season of him next year. Just get ready to be home before New Year's Day. Yeah, isn't it weird? I mean, the last the last two years, they have started off pretty hot and then have just struggled. And this year, you know, luckily, they made the playoffs, but it's always these hot starts, and then it's like, oh, we're bored, we're done. Right. They said... They say they said you can go all the way back to King Kingsbury was the head coach at Texas Tech. Wow. The last six weeks of the college seasons too, he was like a twenty five percent freaking winning percentage. He freaking gets buried at the end of the season. Like you said, you remember last year, same thing happened. Year before, they were crap. I mean, this this is a regular occurrence. The guy cannot coach past November first. Free for all Friday, Mark Stone, our guest. Let's get to the divisional round. Stone, I'm going to stick with my advice from wildcard weekend. What did I tell you? Don't overthink it, and I'm not going to overthink it. I will tell you this. One road team will win this weekend, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts of, of who it may be, but let's start with the Bengals and the Titans Saturday in Nashville I, do I hear this correct? Derrick Henry's playing? Derrick Henry's been suiting up in practice the last two days. I've been seeing footage. He has been taking hits. He, I, he, They're being coy about whether or not they're going to activate him off the IR, but they're going to activate him off yes. the IR. They're not, they're, they're not going to keep him on the sidelines for this. I'm taking Tennessee. I, I think Cincinnati has been a nice story this year. There's some nice pieces in place with Burrow and Chase, and uh, they got a bright future there uh, with Mixon as well, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. I'm taking Tennessee at home. Yep, Tennessee is the play here. It is the stone-cold lock of the week and the carved-in stone bonus 
pick of the week. I'm Ooh. doing two of them this week. This is the Carved in Stone bonus pick of the week. It's three and a half. Take Tennessee. Take Tennessee and the money line for the Carved in Stone pick of the week and the Stone Cold Lock of the Week. Larry Ogunjobi, who is the big defensive tackle for Cincinnati and their number one run stopper, got injured in the second half of the game against the Raiders and yeah. is done for the year. You're going to bring Derrick Henry back to that? They're going to run all over this Cincy defense. They're going to cover. It's not a problem. Tennessee moves on. And honestly, I, I think he will play. You mentioned Henry. But if he doesn't play, those other running backs that they have, I'm not saying they're Derrick Henry, but they're more than capable of carrying the load, especially with that injury. I like Tennessee here, and I love that. I love that line here as well. Early in the week, Stone, I was being a little ballsy. And uh, I I was riding San Francisco going into Green Bay. However, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm taking Green Bay at home. This is the second carved in stone pick of the week, folks. You put that money on San Fran all day long. It was plus six when the Jimmy Garoppolo news came out that he was not going to possibly play this game. Everybody panicked. The line is now moving, moving back towards Green Bay we're moving back in San Francisco's favor. I think it's at five and a five, five and a half, possibly five. You can get it some places. I don't care. This line should be three, three and a half max. Again, I'm picking Green Bay like you to win because it's going to be cold up there. I think San Francisco does put in a fight. I think Rodgers is going to get another opportunity to win this game at the end with a field goal. But I also know as the game gets colder and as Jimmy is going to have a harder time gripping that football with that thumb and that shoulder injury, he's going to make a mistake. He's going to throw a pick, and that's going to be it here. Sounds like Nick Bosa and Fred Warner are both going to be going. Again, that was another issue where I would have said stay away from this line of the six, but they're both going to be going, which means Rodgers is going to be running for his life in this game. They're getting penetration. Mm -hmm. This is the best. San Francisco's defense does not look anything like this defense that Rodgers faced in week three. The corners are better. The pass rush is better. They're all around better, and they're going to face everybody, and they're going to keep them in this game. So, Dan, if you can get the line above three and a half, you take it the carved and stone bet of the week, baby. But I am picking Green Bay to win. I like Green Bay to win. I, I like what you're saying here with everything. And overall, going up to Green Bay, I don't I don't see any of these games being ass kickings. I don't. They're all going to be pretty close. I, li- I like your pick of Packers by like three here, three or four over San Francisco. In terms of the other game on Saturday, I like Tennessee somewhere between like five and seven in that game. Um, for the Sunday games, you get the Rams and the Bucks and the Bills and the Chiefs. Let's start with the Rams and the Bucks. To me, I, I don't know why I feel this way, but I, I, I feel most certain about this game that Tampa Bay will win. I know that they have injuries. I know that they do. But I don't like the cross-country trek for the Rams going to Tampa. I am not necessarily a firm believer in Matt Stafford yet. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. But in terms of success, I know everyone's talking about Tom Brady doesn't have this guy. He doesn't have this guy. You know, Chris Godwin's out. He doesn't have Antonio Brown. I don't care. The guy threw to nobodies for years besides Julian Edelman. Well, he had Randy Moss for a little bit. But for the most part, he was throwing to some absolute no-namers in New England. We didn't talk about it then. He got the job done. I'm taking Tampa at home, but I do think it's close. I like them by a field goal. 
Yes, if I was going to bet this game, I would bet the Rams mainly due to the fact because of the fact that you said it. Tom's got a lot of injuries, especially Tristan Wirfs. Probably isn't going to go in this game. That's a big right tackle protection there. Again, we saw also in this last game the uh, center Jensen also got banged up. He's not going to be 100%. So the Rams are definitely going to be able to put the pass rush on Tom. But this is Tom we're talking about. It's Tom Brady defending Super Bowl champs, and they're probably going to have Leonard Fournette back to this game. So that's also another way to where you can whittle down that defense flight of the Rams by running football and also you're going to force Sean McVay to throw Matt Stafford to throw 40 times because Sony Michelle Cam Akers you're not going to run against this defense it's not happening so it's going to keep the game close it's not going to be a huge score fest and you definitely got to like just like you like Rodgers if the game is close down at the wire you got to like Tom here setting them up getting a field goal and walking away so I'm with you I'm picking Tampa but if you're going to bet I would bet the Rams Sunday, late afternoon, Buffalo Bills go to Arrowhead, Kansas City Chiefs. All right, well, here's here's the uh, out of out of all the games we've done, I haven't picked a road team yet, so no surprise, I'm taking Buffalo. Now I've switched off of this. I've made two switches. Early on, I was with your San Francisco 49ers earlier in the week. I switched it. The main reason I did that, Stone, it's not that I think they're going to get blown out. I just feel like you kind of said it earlier with the Cowboys game. The Cowboys did a lot in that game to shoot themselves in the foot, and they still only lost by six. Plus, you mentioned the Jimmy Garoppolo mistakes. He makes one mistake on Saturday up in Green Bay. That's it. That's The, the Packers will jump on that, and it's over. In terms of Buffalo and Kansas City, what's the one thing that we've talked about a lot this year? And it started off terribly, and then it got a little bit better, and now I sort of feel like it's sort of eh. It's the Kansas City defense, and – I feel like Josh Allen, he kicked the crap out of New England. And you know what? All year long, we were talking about that New England defense. Either they didn't come to play or Buffalo had one hell of a game plan. I think it's a little bit of both. But I, I have to give credit to Josh Allen and and uh, everything that they're doing. And the other thing that I like that Buffalo's doing right now, I'm not saying that he's the best running back in the world, but Buffalo's finally starting to run the ball. And Devin Singletary is being productive. And I think they finally realize in Buffalo, like, hey, we can't have Josh Allen throw the ball 55 times a game. We have to hand the ball off a little bit. And even if that means Devin Singletary gets 50, 60, 70 yards, get him some touches, get a little pressure off Allen, or we'll have Josh run the ball. I just think the Buffalo offense is going to cause some issues for that Kansas City defense. I like Buffalo by a touchdown. Wow, that's a big that's a big ask, but I like it. I'm picking Buffalo as well, and here's the reason. Before the season began, I picked Kansas City and Buffalo to be my AFC championship picks. Now, mind you, they're not in the AFC championship. It's divisional playoffs, but I do believe the winner of this game is going to the Super Bowl. My other NFC championship pick was Tampa and San Francisco. That still can possibly happen, but right now San Francisco's going to have to play a near-perfect game to beat Green Bay up in Lambeau to make that happen. But back here to the Buffalo KC game, we talked earlier in the show how I feel like Josh Allen is Mike Tyson. Also remember, week five this year, Buffalo went into Kansas City, and nobody gave them a chance to win at Arrowhead. And I said, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And, and Buffalo handed Kansas City a loss there at home. Now people are saying, they can't do it twice in the same year. Who the 
hell came up with this? Because I really don't know. I can understand three times, but now you're saying twice. Everybody's giving Patrick Mahomes too much credit. Now, don't get me wrong. Patrick Mahomes is going to keep you in the game here, but you're right. Since that game two, this Buffalo team is different. They have a running game. Also, defensively, they're not going to allow you to do to them what Pittsburgh allowed yeah. you to do, okay? So get in mind, this is going to be a physical game. They're going to come in here to hit, and they know that if they get through you, they're they're going to probably go to the Super Bowl. So, again, this is a huge game. The line is moving towards Buffalo. It opened up at 2.5 this week. We're down to 1.5 in favor of Kansas City. You're not even getting home field advantage. Buffalo's the better team. Buffalo has the quarterback that's playing better right now. And like you, I like Buffalo's running game a lot better than Kansas City's, and that's still important in the playoffs. Give me the Bills. Do you think with the way that the spread is going, could that just end up being a pick game, Stone? It possibly could be. A lot of people were actually anticipating that they figured enough money might be put on this to actually swing it far enough to where Buffalo would be favored by game time. Wow. That's... You don't see that often. Nope, not that big of a swing. No, it does not happen that often at all. Well, it's going to be a great weekend of football. Well, let's hope it's a great weekend of football because last weekend it was fun. I had good food stone, but uh, ultimately the games were kind of duds for the most part. True that, man, man. Well, enjoy the games and uh, we'll talk to you next week, sir. We will talk again next week as we break down the championship games on another free-for-all Friday. You heard it right here. That's Mark Stone on free-for-all Friday. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. The Trevor J. Brown Show. Did you know Inherent Dream Production Company is more than just the Trevor J. Brown Show? Inherent Dream is home to Musical Acts Chairman of the Board, TNV, Trevor J. Brown, and the Food and Song Compilation Series. Albums are available now at InherentDream.Bandcamp.com or stream anywhere you get your music. All right, we are back here on the Trevor J. Brown Show. You know, one of the things that I thought about, because we, we did the other show, which, by the way, if you're new to this show, we called the old podcast Another Round. I'm curious to know how many times on this program I've said, well, back here on Another Round. I feel like I've done that a bunch and I'm not caught myself but anyway you're listening to the trevor j brown show here and uh, of course you can find us on spotify anchor google podcasts and uh, apple podcasts we invite you tomorrow on saturdays we do some bonus content that's available exclusively on the spotify app and uh, one of the things we're doing is we're building a playlist the 1000 greatest most favorite songs of ours of all time you can follow along with the playlist actually the 1000 songs by the Trevor J. Brown Show. Search for that on Spotify, and uh, we'll have a brand new show tomorrow where we'll, uh, where we'll add a few more songs to that playlist, so be sure to tune in. I'm now uh, going to debut a brand new segment on the show called the Trevor J. Brown Show Book Club. And uh, I have been reading more and I guess I say I've been reading more because I used to read none. Is that, is, that, is that proper English? I don't think that's proper English, but I didn't used to read at all. I would read books in school on some things that interest me. Like, uh, I remember back in like third or fourth grade, 
Well, and I still believe in like ghosts and aliens and Bigfoot and stuff like that. But back in elementary school in Zimmerman, there used to be a Bigfoot book in the library. And I used to check that out all the time and read it because that was awesome. Like reading about Bigfoot, that was awesome. But for the most part, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really read a whole lot. And then I got this idea of, hey, you know, you can actually read about stuff that may be in- interesting to you. You don't have to read about stuff that doesn't interest you. So I started to read, and a, a lot of uh, my the books that I've been reading because I, I love learning about World War II. And I read a lot about that sort of stuff. And sometimes that can be a hard read because it's kind of depressing. Um, but I also read about a bunch of other stuff too. So I, I love music. So I've been reading about like the Beatles and uh, I like TV shows. So one of the things that I thought of is, hey, out of all these books that I've read, and I haven't read a lot, but since like 2020, when we started to all be stuck inside and reading more, I thought, hey, wouldn't it be great to sort of review these books and give you a recommendation of them? And uh, we'll call it the Trevor J. Brown Show Book Club. Sort of view it as like my edition of Oprah's Book Club, if you will. Except cooler. <laughs> so the first book that uh, I want to talk about this evening and i actually have two books for you tonight that uh may be of interest to you they're by the same author and uh thomas keneally uh, wrote one of the greatest books of all time it's a, a booker prize winning historical nonfiction novel published in 1982 thomas keneally the australian schindler's list now originally the book it's called Schindler's Ark, but the United States edition of the book is titled Schindler's List. It was later reissued in Commonwealth countries under that name as well. The novel was also awarded the L.A. Times Book Prize for Fiction in 1983. The book tells the story of Oscar Schindler, a member of the Nazi party who becomes an unlikely hero by saving the lives of 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust. It follows actual people and events with fictional dialogue and scenes added to the author where exact details are unknown. Keneally wrote a number of well-received novels before and after Schindler's Ark. However, in the wake of its highly successful 1993 film adaptation, directed by director Steven Spielberg, it has since gone on to become his most well-known and celebrated work. The background of the book, Poldek Pfefferberg, a Holocaust survivor, and uh, Schindler Juden inspired Keneally to write Schindler's Ark. After the war, Pfefferberg had tried on a number of occasions to interest the screenwriters and filmmakers he met through his business. He owned like a luggage shop out in Beverly Hills. And when people would come in, he would pitch them this story. This guy sounded, he's, he's no longer with us, but he sounded like an incredible guy. So he would pitch these guys through his business in making a film based on the story of Schindler and his efforts to save Polish Jews from the Nazis, as well as arranging several interviews with Schindler for American television. Keneally's meetings with Pfefferberg and his research and interviews of Schindler's acquaintances are detailed in another book that I will mention to you here shortly, which came out in 2007. That is called Searching for Schindler, a memoir. More on that in a second. In October 1980, Keneally went to the Pfefferberg shop in Beverly Hills 
to ask about the price of briefcases. Learning that Keneally was a novelist, Pfefferberg showed him his extensive files on Schindler, kept in two cabinets in his back room. After 50 minutes uh, of talking, Pfefferberg was able to convince Keneally to write the book. Pfefferberg became an advisor, accompanying Keneally to Poland, where they visited Krakow and other sites associated with the Schindler story. Keneally dedicated Schindler's Ark to Pfefferberg, who by zeal and persistence caused this book to be written. That is a direct quote from him. After the publication in 1982, Pfefferberg worked to persuade Steven Spielberg to film, uh, film Keneally's book using his, his acquaintance with Spielberg's mother to gain access. A carbon copy of Schindler's original 13-page list, initially thought to be lost, was discovered in 2009 in a library in Sydney, Australia. So the novel tells a story of Schindler, self-made entrepreneur, who almost by default found himself saving Polish Jews from the Nazi death machine. Based on numerous eyewitness accounts, Keneally's story is unbearably moving, uh, but never melodramatic, a testament to almost unimaginable horrors of Hitler's attempts to make Europe free of Jews. What distinguishes, distinguishes Schindler in Keneally's version is not superficially kindness or idealism, but a certain gusto. He was a flawed hero. He was not without sin. He was a drinker. He was a womanizer. And at first, a profiteer. After the war, he was commemorated as righteous among the nations by the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, but was never seen as a conventionally virtuous char character. The story is not only Schindler's, it is the story of the Krakow ghetto and the forced labor camp outside the town of Plasnow. It is the story of Eamon Goeth, Plasnow's commandant. His wife, Emil Schindler, later remarked in a German TV interview that Schindler did nothing remarkable before the war and nothing after it. He was fortunate, therefore, that in the short, fierce era between 1939 and 1945, he had met people who had summoned forth his deeper talents. After the war, his business ventures all failed, and he separated from his wife. Then he ended up living a shabby life in a small flat in Frankfurt. Eventually, he arranged to live part of the year in Israel, supported by his Jewish friends, and part of the year as a sort of internal, uh, or a, a part of the year rather, in Frankfurt, where he was often hissed at in the streets as a traitor to his race. After 29 un, uh, unexceptional post-war years, he died in 1974. He was buried in Jerusalem as he wished with the help of his old friend, Pfefferberg. So, uh, some reviews here on the uh, on the back of Schindler's List. Uh, L.A. Times Book Review, Review, a masterful account of the growth of the human soul. The New York Review of Books, an extraordinary tale. No summary can adequately convey the stratagems and reverses and sudden twists of fortune, a notable achievement. Uh, it is, in terms of uh, powerful reading, World War II reading, it's incredible. Absolutely an, an incredible book. And uh, I highly, 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 highly recommend it. Five out of five, Schindler's List, written by uh, Thomas Keneally. So I mentioned the uh, 
the other book that is a great companion piece to Schindler's List. And I recommend read Schindler's List by Thomas Keneally first and then read Searching for Schindler by Thomas Keneally. And uh, this is uh, the captivating story behind Schindler's List, the Booker Prize winning book and the Academy Award winning Spielberg film. Keneally tells the tale of the unlikely encounter that propelled him to write about Oscar Schindler and of the impact of his extraordinary account on, of people of the world. Um, Searching for Schindler is the engrossing chronicle of Keneally's pursuit of one of history's most fascinating heroes. Traveling throughout the United States, Germany, Israel, Poland, and Austria, Keneally and Poldek Pfefferberg interviewed people who had known Schindler and uncovered their memories of the Holocaust. Keneally's powerful narrative rose quickly to the top of bestseller list. Steven Spielberg's magnificent film adaptation went on to fulfill Poldek's dream of winning an Oscar for Oscar. Written with candor and humor, Searching for Schindler is an intimate look at Keneally's growth as a writer and the enormous success of his portrait of Oscar Schindler. Again, it's written by Thomas Keneally and it tells the story of the story of Schindler's list of how it kind of came to be. And uh, it's a fascinating read. It's a great companion piece to the actual book Schindler's list. So if you were going to do this right, read Schindler's list, watch Schindler's list, the movie, and then read searching for Schindler by Thomas Keneally. I would give a Schindler's List a 5 out of 5, and I would give Searching for Schindler a 4 out of 5. Again, a great companion piece to the actual book, Schindler's List. We wrap up the week next. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show from Inherent Dream Production Company. Well, and uh, if you enjoyed that segment tonight, The Book Club, we will be incorporating that uh, a few more times throughout this season. I'll be honest with you, I don't have a ton of books to recommend at this point. I only have a stack of, oh, maybe nine or ten so far. I'm a slow reader, but I've read nine or ten books in the past year or two, and I'm working on one right now. I hope to have that one done here in the coming weeks, but I have a, a ton of reviews to get to, so again, we'll be incorporating that into uh, the rest of the season here on the Trevor J. Brown Show. Again, we invite you tomorrow, tune in on our Spotify app for our uh, playlist, The 1,000 Greatest Songs of All Time. We'll be adding some more tunes to that playlist, and we invite you to follow along as well. You can just search on Spotify, The 1,000 Songs by The Trevor J. Brown Show. So far, We have music on there from the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Tracy Chapman, Dolly Parton, Bob Dylan, Sam Cooke, Aretha Franklin, and many more. Tomorrow, adding some tunes. I don't want to give too much away, but we're adding a tune from the 1960s. And we're adding uh, some tunes from the 1990s as well. One's a 90s song for sure. One might be late 80s. You'll have to tune in tomorrow to find out. As I close this evening, I want to say a very, very, very special happy birthday 
to Mama Brown. Proud supporter of this program, listener of this program, and huge supporter of everything that I've ever wanted to do in my life. Mom, I love you. Happy birthday to you. Thank you for all the love. Thank you for all the support. And thank you for being the glue that holds our family together. Without you, we would all be lost. And uh, we love you so much. So happy birthday. Enjoy it. Eat a lot of cake. Eat a lot of food. And uh, enjoy your time. Enjoy the football. And enjoy all your gifts. I love you very much. That's all I have for you tonight. Thank you for listening. We're back here next week with another edition of the Trevor J. Brown Show. This has been the Trevor J. Brown Show. The opinions expressed on this show do not express the views of staff, management, or sponsors of Inherent Dream Production Company or streaming services where the show may be heard. The Trevor J. Brown Show is produced by Inherent Dream Production Company.